Welcome to Geek Depression Podcast. I'm Kevin. I wanted to say that we have a website at geekdepression.com. On it, we have a few links and numbers to pe- for people that can help you. We also have links to our Facebook and Twitter there. There's a place for people to write in with their, their depression stories that if you want, I will share on the podcast. If not, you just want to get them out there, someone to read them, I can do that also. Um, also in the same spot, you can also send questions if you have any or show topics if you choose and maybe I'll be able to use them at a later date. Welcome to episode two of the Geeks Depression Podcast. Today we're actually having an interview with a friend of mine. He's also a writer. Um, I'll introduce him here here to you. His name is David Johnson. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for being on here. I mean, it's kind of fitting. We've known each other for many years now. Many, many years. <laughs> Heck, we even lived together. Yes, that's and true. We didn't, and we didn't kill each other, which is always a good positive. So like I said earlier, Dave's a writer. Um, how long have you been writing, Dave? Um, I've been writing since I was a little kid, but I didn't start publishing until uh, 2010. So I probably started writing seriously in 2008 or so with the first book that I, um, I was working on, which was Bourbon in York. But the, pub- the publishing was in May of 2010, so professionally, I would say nine years now. Oh, that's, that's cool. Um, what, why do you write? Is there any particular reason just to get it out there or what? It's, it's to tell a story. Um, I'm always looking for something new to do, and creatively, there's only so much you can do uh, and have complete control over, like visual mediums or... Maybe making music would be another uh, good example, but I don't have the talent or the patience for either of those. This is something where I can I can express complete control over the the medium and contribute exactly what I want to um, to the medium the way I want to do it. So I'm writing to tell stories. It's it's more for me than it is for the fans, but um, if they happen to like it, then so be it. So it's it's to get the ideas out there. It's to it's to tell a story. It's not like a greater message. There's no there's no political message. There's no hidden meaning. They're just they're just stories. How do you come up with your ideas? Um, some of the stuff was based on our, on old RPGs we played way back in the day, um, and I think that a lot of writers probably steal ideas from each other because all the great new ideas have been taken so everyone takes from each other and borrows from each other uh, I, I think a lot of mine at least the last like 20 or 30 or so have come from um, dreams um, I have, I'm a vivid dreamer and I have like active participation in my dreams so a lot of these come in total um, just from dreams that I've had in the last couple of years it might be the entire work from beginning to end or it might just be one particular scene that I remember vividly, and everything sprouts out from that one that one vision. Now, when you have these dreams, do you uh, get up and write them, jot them down, or do you usually remember them when you get up in the morning? Or it, dep- your- it depends on like how how tired I am when it's happening. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I've got the entire thing right then, then I'll I'll type it down right then, right there, so I don't, I don't miss any of the details or any of the imagery that's in it. Um, But there are some nights where I can go back to sleep three or four times and I'll dream in succession. So at the the end of the night, in the morning when I wake up, I'll have like all three or four parts of it right then. And then I can put the entire thing down, just the outline of it, like in a notepad on the phone. 
and uh, I have the whole work there, and then I just need to flesh out the characters, the details, and it's it's weird how the subconscious works. Like if you focus on a problem before you go to sleep, your subconscious will supposedly work that problem out for you and help you find a solution. It's the same thing here. If I if I go to sleep thinking of a certain plot thread or a, or a, or a character plight that I want to work on, other things will spring from that in my subconscious. It's yeah, it's kind of weird. So and you've got many stories, you and you have short ones and longer ones. How long does it take you to write a longer versus a short? And um, it, I I put out um. I put out like three or four a year on average um, starting in 2014 and their length varies um, with with like let's say um, Curse of Lilith was only or was about 91 it was 91,000 words so that's that's pretty hefty like the standard novel the, dic- the dictated number is 60,000 they say is a finished novel that's when you can give a work of that title so 91,000 is kind of hefty. Um, that came in three months at the end of uh, 2015 into 2016. That's 91,000 words. And you're supposed to average 1,000 words a day um, if you're writing. That's like the, the guideline or benchmark you're supposed to use. So that came in three months. Um, but then like um, Run Deep, which is only 30,000 words, took a full... A full three months to do. That was that was you know one third the size of Lilith, I guess because the complexity of the story is not as layered as Lilith is because there's a lot of thematic elements and a lot of characters in Lilith and Run Deep is just um, dolphins and action. So that came out that came out you know very very quickly for being thirty thousand, but it took the exact same amount of time as Lilith did, which is ninety one thousand. So I, I could. If, if I'm, depending on how busy I am at work and how, how active things are in my social life, I could put stuff out like every month if, I, if I'm uninterrupted. But um, I think three months is about the average for everything I do. Okay. Now, I've read some of your stories and a lot of your stuff I feel veers more towards science, sci-fi. Is there any particular reason why? Is that just your favorite not genre or? Um, it's going to be sci-fi or horror. Uh, there's a lot of science fiction is horrifying because it's it's things that are outside the norm. I think that just lets me explore more of what I'm trying to do. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are great stories that are based in the everyday, in the real world, you know, just everyday things that happen. Um, but I can't read about how the chick milked the cow and then fought with her father and then they made biscuits and everything was okay. It's just, it kind of bores me. I don't know if I'm oversaturated with movies and anime and other things but there needs to be a lot more going on it needs to have a certain level of complexity um you know great writers in the past were writing about simple things because they've been simple times i think that today's reader expects a certain level of complexity from their stories and that's why i tend to go towards sci-fi because everything is open and possible to you um no matter how ridiculous it is you can magic or science it away. So even there's like even the slightest bit of like a fantasy element in my sci-fi stuff. It, I think it's because of the freedom that it gives you. And if you don't like a convenient world state, or if there's some some different idea you want to explore, then you just make that part of your world state. You you change the world to be it the way that you want to be, or the way that you see it becoming as like a warning. 
And um, it's much easier to do that in science fiction because people expect these these wild, varied worlds in that genre. So who do you believe your target audience is? With the sci-fi, I mean, I don't know if my grandmother's going to read it, obviously, but... Right. Um, I, don't have a, I don't have a target audience. Um, anybody who wants to pick it up and read it can. Um, from what I've seen from my Amazon statistics, uh, it is... I, well, I sell well in the U.S. because obviously that's, that's my, you know, internal market. But um, I also have strong showings in the U.K., Canada, and Australia... And they're predominantly female between uh, 16 and 55. So I guess that I'm, I'm writing for that market um, more and more. But if you see like a lot of current bestsellers, they seem to be targeting that too. Like you'll find you have a female protagonist. She's between 25 and 33 years of age. Um, how many books and or movies have you seen in the last you know year on the bestseller list that are The Girl Who Blanked? Or the girl who went to blank, or the girl who did blank, because women see that and they go, oh, that, that that's aimed at me because I'm that girl. I'm the girl who did that, and they they lock into it. That's why you have all these these strong female protagonists now, like you have the Hunger Games, and oh wow, you know Katniss is so awesome. Even though Katniss is a bitch, when you read the books, she's she's cold and heartless to almost everyone around her. She's vicious, you know, and defends her family, but uh, she's kind of she's kind of a bitch to everybody. That she encounters, even the people that are helping her, she doesn't really have gratitude for anything. It's it's pretty funny. But then you have the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, you look at Doctor Who, and who's Amy Pond? She's the girl who waited. It's all about identifying with that younger version of the reader because they all view themselves at that younger timeline. It's one of the secrets to current bestsellers is you identify with the female audience because they're more likely to sit down and read your work Whereas men are looking for the, the, the quicker, you know, action-packed, condensed version they're going to get weekly on Game of Thrones or whatever movie series they're watching. So, like, I'm not targeting specifically to an audience, but I, I, I know that most of my readers are female. And I know that has to, like, bear in mind somewhat with what I'm putting out there. I'm not, like, I'm not, like deliberately censoring myself, so, like, I'm not vicious to females. Women get killed in my books all the time. It just it, it happens. Um... But I, I think maybe why they identify better with what I'm putting out is I always try to have a strong female protagonist. I don't want to have the damsel in distress or the female who only exists to praise the male character. It's those are pitfalls I don't want to, I don't want to follow. So yeah, predominantly female um, between those age ranges and. Well, I'm not writing specifically for them. After after viewing my stats over so many years of sales, I am I am aware that they're the ones who are reading it the most. Okay. Well, speaking of sales, then we'll go to this one. Uh, what is your best-selling book out of all of them? It, it's it still makes no sense. Um, for for actual sold copies, the bestseller is Run Deep, which is a a short novella about dolphins fighting a zombie shark in a future apocalypse. It takes place completely from the perspective of the dolphins and the zombie shark. And it was a completely ludicrous project, but um, I had a clear vision of it and I was determined to make it and I made it. And <laughs> despite all my logic, it has sold more than anything else I have put out there. I guess I have the aquatic zombie market cornered. Yeah, I don't know of too many 
aquatic zombie. I can't think books of, a, of a, movie. another single one unless we're talking like Pirates of the Caribbean. So are the females buying that book too? Or are they just buying everything? Or is there a certain book that the female fans that you were just talking about actually they're they're buying they're buying everything. Um, like the flood the flood was really really short and that sold fairly well amongst uh, their market and so did Carnal Fee and that's that's specifically aimed towards them. It's all about you know one female protagonist. She's trying to get ahead at work and she's you know fighting the glass ceiling and the men that are in power don't don't respect her or give her the credit she's due because she's a woman um, and the steps she takes to overcome that. Like just the word of mouth, you know, through through people at work who bought hard copies of it, like they they rave endlessly about it. And everyone every one of the females that that I know, every one of the women that I know that has read it, um, they absolutely love it, and um, they totally identify with the character and all the stuff she goes through. Um, I think they like that one best of all. But I guess they liked um, reading the perspective of uh, dolphins trying to fight off a zombie shark as well because it outsold both of them. I'm st- still haven't read that one. It is on my list. Sorry. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to go with uh, who's your favorite writer and why? And does that writer actually influence the way you write now, or is it just? I, I did. I dug um, R.A. Salvatore for a while with the whole, you know, Trista Warden series and the Dark Elf trilogy and all that stuff. But here's the problem with that: is that character has long outlived his usefulness, and we're now like into the the twentieth Trista book, and he he still doesn't lose any battles, and he still always prevails. All his other character friends are dying off of old age. It's like you need to let Driss, you know, eat a blade and die. Just let the guy rest and go to heaven and be happy whatever his ending is and every time i look salvatore's got a new dark elf trilogy coming out it's like really dude you have milked this character for everything he's worth and the writing is still great and the stories are still exciting but one elf can only be so lucky and this sucker is rolling 20s on a regular basis when he ties his shoes so i just i can't i can't suspend my disbelief that Driss is going to still be alive and kicking ass after like two centuries and just rolling on. If you want to go overall, it's probably Stephen King because he has covered such a wide variety of horror or science fiction or sci-fi horror with so many different styles of characters and situations. And he's still putting them out, you know, right now into his old age. You know, he, he had hit that bus and that would have been the end of everything. But that made him finish the Dark Tower and then go on and write a whole bunch of other things. If you compare, like, if you compare King and um, Asimov, Asimov's like hands down the, the chief of production because he would sit down at like eight o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning, and then write till ten o'clock at night. And he would put out like a novel and five short stories a month without fail every month for like twenty some years of his life. His his body of work is huge his work ethic was untouchable he wrote six days a week and it's then you compare that to king who like well he might put out two books a year yeah he'll put out like a thousand page book um all on the same topic but asimov was constantly generating new ideas and trying new situations and putting characters in unique situations um asimov's probably the king of production but King was able to put it all to put all these situations and all these characters in that everyone could identify with, and he makes them relatable in the way that they view things and they echo things in their head. 
it's 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 got to be King even for his early work and then like the Dark Tower, uh, and even the stuff he's still putting out now like um, Doctor Sleep, and um, God I think he even has a new one out this year, but he's but he's done he's done all of that stuff that you've heard of you know Cujo and Pet Cemetery, um, Christine and The Shining and The Dead Zone and Carrie all all these things are like iconic in the horror world. You can't you can't name one of them, and somebody in the room has not heard of them. But then he also did the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile, um, and you know Rose Matter, um, Dolores Claiborne, and you know, he did some some really serious stuff. His book on writing is one of the best on how to write and how to be a writer. I personally think it's boring as hell. I read it, I didn't like it at all. Um, there's no insight. It's just him recanting his his childhood years. But uh, but to be able to put out The Shining on one hand and Cujo, and then on the other hand to write The Shawshank Redemption, which is like the number one movie of all time on IMDb, like everyone loves The Shawshank Redemption, and then to put out The Green Mile, which is just as good, it's just not as well loved, it's just as good as Shawshank, and they're both Stephen King, they're both literary masterpieces, but then he can also produce pulp fiction like Pet Cemetery, um, the Langoliers, and things like that. The breadth that he has is the kind of breadth that I wish that I could I could uh, produce, where I could do serious works and not so serious works. So I'm gonna go with King. Go Stephen King. He doesn't have zombie sharks. Just saying. He does not have zombie sharks. His zombies were from cell phones. So, with today's tech, does it make it easier or harder for you to write and publish things? Or, I mean, I mean, with the internet, obviously you can throw anything out there, but then I would assume that would make it harder for publishing rights because now everyone goes, oh, I wrote it, I wrote it, you know. It, um, I think it makes it easier because you have Amazon. You finish your work, you upload it, it's done. It's on the net and it's yours. Um, but you don't have the benefits of getting a traditional copywriter, cover designer, or all the money for advertising that a publishing house can put behind it. Um, if you want to go that route, you've got to get through their gatekeepers, and that's the, the the slush pile that everyone gets dumped into, and the odds are you're never going to make it out. So then you want to hire a literary agent who will put you above that, but then you just get put into a slush pile of literary agents that are recommending work, and then you got to make it out of that pile, and then they have to approve you, and they're going to be like, well, how much money will it cost us to edit this? how much to promote it, what's our target audience. And here's the thing is they're not looking for you to sell one great book and it's awesome and you make a ton. You might make a whole ton off of that one book. What they want is a perennial seller like Shakespeare's works or the Harry Potter series now because you know they're ingrained in the society and there's seven of them. So if you're gonna buy one, you're gonna buy the other six and that will be kids from now until the end of time will be buying Harry Potter and watching those damn movies until they get remade in 20 years. And that's what that's what they want is they want something that will sell every single year over and over again. So it, it makes it easier for you to get out there, but you don't get the notoriety. Um, you have to build a larger base and you can kind of determine your own success. Like, do you want to go to all the local bookstores? Do you want to arrange all your own book signings? Do you want to donate books? Um, how much do you want to put into advertising? How much advertising are you going to do yourself? You can you can do all that, um, or you can just ignore all of it, 
publish the book, put it out there, and it's on sale. I think it's I think it's easier for them, and there's more tools because like you know you have Word and you have OneNote, and there's a lot of automatic editors that'll tell you when you're repeating yourself and looping things. That makes it easier to make better work, but um, that's not going to make you successful unless you are the engine that drives that success through Facebook, social media, and the advertising and everything else that comes with it. Okay, well then if it's easier, why do you think uh, people fail now? Fail these days to become writers? There, there, was, there was a glut uh, on Amazon in the beginning where some people found the formula. They found this magic formula where they would just pump out you know, a 200-page novel they would, they would write it as quick as they could. They would follow a formula, a, a project, a plan, and they would pump them out there and not much change from book to book. Um, they figured if they got you for one, they would get you for the next two or three. And people bought into it because there wasn't a lot to select from at the beginning. So you fast forward five or six years, and now everyone is using the self-publishing for Kindle and everything else. And all of a sudden, your competition is very stiff. You've got... All these people who are selling like five book series for 99 cents, and that kind of makes you like wonder about the quality. Like, well, if they're selling me five books for 99 cents, that's probably not the best. Um, and then they're fighting against legitimate authors who are selling a Kindle version of a book for 11 bucks. For a physical book, you'll never have. You're going to get a digital copy of the book for 11 bucks. That's like, well, that that price point might suggest they're you know they're a famous author, or maybe they're just ripping me off. Um, the market is is getting rid of a lot of the people who try to just push stuff out there. I, I dare you to go through the the marketplace and like go in there and put a horror in, and don't look at the top ten, don't look at the top fifty. Look at look at like the look at fifty one through a hundred, and I guarantee you, you'll find half of them or more are the most god awful thing you have ever read. Like possessed scarecrows and they kill kids who are playing music on their cars in the cornfield and I'm not even joking it is the most ludicrous stuff you have ever seen but because it's out there and it's cheap and people are desperate for content they'll buy it so the really good ones will rise up um, but the glut is real and it's it's huge okay so uh, out of all your stories what's your favorite one you wrote uh, I, I still tend to go towards the cooks. That's my favorite one. Um, it came all in one dream. It's all self-contained. There's a a balance of action and message. And um, yeah, I still can't believe like the entire the entire totality of the story came in one dream. And I and I remembered it so well the next day that I knew all the lessons. That are that are taught by the main, or the, the learned by the main character in the story, and um, yeah, I think that's the best thing I've put together so far. It, I actually did enjoy that. That was one of my. I don't know if it was my favorite or not. It was it was up there. It, that the few I've read. It, I mean, the stuff's been good. Now, what about character you've written? What's your favorite one? Favorite character you've probably written? Uh, I mean, no, Noble's good, but um, I think I'm going to go with. Uh, I thought about this this week. I'd probably go with Show from uh, Bourbon and York or The Master's War. He's the um, he's this like distant assassin. <laughs> I say distant assassin. He's a character in the story who is hired out as an assassin or a thug by um, other vampires who have money but not power because 
He never loses. He always succeeds. He always gets everything done. So Sho's presence in the book is kind of like uh, he's a force of nature. When he shows up, people are going to die and bad things are going to happen. And he's not motivated by uh, any, any like hatred or desire or you know revenge or anything like that. He is solely motivated by his desire for money. And um, every time the main characters encounter him, he beats their asses every single time. And he's, he's cold, he's callous, he's, he's just very dismissive of them as if they don't matter. And whereas every other character pretty much gets, gets their turn at telling the story, they all get like, it's rotating narrators, so this, everyone gets like their chance to tell their chapter. Show never gets a chapter. Show never gets an explanation. He never gets uh, a description. That would have all been in the second story, which never, which never came about because I would have blown my brains out trying to write it. But because he's he's so distant from all of their actions and the things that he does, it makes him the most interesting character. Because whenever he pops up, you know, you sit up in your chair and you pay close attention to what's going to happen because you get conditioned to because he's just so. He's just so awesome and strange, and there's so little of him. Every time he pops up, it's like someone threw a pepper in your stew, and you're like, "Oh, this is interesting. What's going to happen now?" And he never, he would never get that until the second book in the in the director's cut in the Masters of War, which is the you know the final version of the whole bourbon thing. It, it it lays out the plans. He would have had one chapter right before the actual final climax of the story that would have explained all of his origins and all of his motivations because to give that any time sooner would have taken away the mystery of him and he would have been less important because you don't know anything about him it makes him more interesting he's a good example of how you get more from subtraction for a character the less you know about them the more interesting they are to you so i think it's, it's definitely show all right. Now, when you have writer's block, what do you do about that? Is there any tricks that you use that, you know, help you out? There's, there's a lot of people who have tricks for it. Um, I never have writer's block. I, I'm able to sit down at any time and pick right up and go. Um, what I have is I have a motivational error where I can't motivate myself to sit down in the first place because... I have this guilt complex. I should be doing all these other things. It's like, I need to be working harder. So I need to go and work. Now I'm working harder. Well, I shouldn't work so hard. I need to take more time for myself. So now I'm going to stop working and go take time for myself. Well, now I'm wasting time because all I'm doing is having fun and not accomplishing anything. So you see this cycle begins. So I can't break away from what I'm doing to go sit down and write. Um, so that's, that's my writer's block is like it's this self-reinforcing delusion that I'm not getting enough stuff done. Therefore, I should end up doing nothing. I should sit here and relax because I only get two days off a week and I have the on call and it's going to be busy at work. So I just relax. But it's the perfect time for me to sit down and write for eight hours. But I can't bring myself to do it because I should be enjoying myself. And then I feel guilty the whole time I'm enjoying myself, whether I'm playing a game or reading a book or watching a movie, I'm thinking the whole time, you know, I should be back in the office typing out like 2,000 words because so I could get to this point and I could write this and I could finish that. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, I understand, man. Real life, it gets in the way too of what I want to do. For some reason, I can't sit around and watch the dogs and play video games all day. Wife <laughs> won't let me. 
Um, so what tips do you have for upcoming writers? Um, don't be afraid. Do it. So everyone would be like, well, oh, your first draft should be this and your second draft should be this. Here's the thing. You force your first draft through as quickly as possible so it is done. Write the story. Just get it done. It doesn't matter how sloppy it is or how terrible it is or what the formatting is. Get your first draft done. Get the body of work done. Then you go back over and you add your page breaks and you fix your spelling and you fix your punctuation and you replace words. And that, that's your cleanup draft, okay? Then you're done. Then you upload it to Amazon and you hit publish. If you can't design a cover in Photoshop or something, you go to Fiverr, you pay somebody five bucks to design a cover for you. And they typically give you unlimited revisions. They'll make the cover better than you would have thought it would be for five bucks and bam, you've got a cover. It's on Amazon, you advertise on Facebook and your social media, because that's all free, and you'll get sales. Don't, don't be afraid to do it because anybody can do it. And the only thing that is going to help you get better is by writing more. And the only thing that's gonna improve your sales is by publishing more. Because when you publish your 10th book, that will drive sales up for the first nine. And I've seen it happen on every single one that I've put out for every single thing that I've put out. Anytime I put something new out, everything else gets sales. Because your name's attached to all of them and they see all of them when they pull up the one, they see them all on the bottom. And it is much more impressive to see there are 12 books out by this author than just two. You see this guy, this guy's got, you know, this guy or girl's got a devoted body of work, you know, that is done and completed and has some sales and, you know, the occasional review. Just put out as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Rush to the first draft, tighten it the second draft, and get it out there. Don't be afraid of it because if you don't start now, you're going to be kicking yourself for not doing it. Is there uh, any other things about the uh, writing that you'd like to say right now? Um, yeah, buy my books. No, um, <laughs> I'm not sales motivated. Um, if someone reaches out to me and they want a copy of something, I will just give it to them. I will just literally mail them the Word document that is the original of the book if they can't afford it. Most people now kind of have an Amazon membership anyway. So I think that 90% of my works are available for free on Amazon if you have a Prime membership. And you downloading my book for free and reading it um, still gives still gives me money if that's what you're worried about. Um, but I'm not worried about the the sales so much as in a monetary thing because it's, it's not my main income. I just want people to read the stuff and tell me if it's good. So if you enjoyed it, I want to hear that you enjoyed it. Um, if you didn't like it, I want to hear that too. Because I want to see you know where I'm falling short or what I'm getting right, um, and I seem to be getting a lot more right than wrong, uh, just based on the feedback I get from you know strangers in other countries that I'm never going to meet. Like, what reason on earth would a 67 year old 67 year old retired neurosurgeon in Australia have to write me and tell me she loved you know the cooks? Absolutely none. But she took the time to write an exceptionally long letter about how she loved the book and how her, her nieces and nephews loved the book and how her grandkids loved the book. And she didn't have to. And I, I've never met the woman and I'll, I, never, I never will meet her. For all I know, she's dead. I don't know. But she took the time to do that when she didn't have to. And then I get all these other random reviews from strangers. And I, I ask people, my circle of friends, you know, who wrote this? And no one fesses up to it because... 
it was some stranger somewhere in the US or the UK, that's what I'm doing it for is, is for the feedback. Um, and I appreciate everyone who reads this stuff and gives me positive or negative. All I want, all, all I want is to be read. That's literally all I want. And, and for someone to enjoy what they're reading. The financial gains, you know, if, if they're inevitable, they'll come later. I'm not like, I'm not like dying for money. And that's why I have the time to do this because I'm not dying for money. I can do this in my spare time. So where can one actually get your writings then? Uh, everything is on Amazon under David E. Johnston. I believe that like my specific author's page is like D. Johnston 74. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook through David E. Johnston. And I believe my, uh, yeah, don't mind the dogs. Shut up. <laughs> I'll just cover for time here. I, th I think you can also find my, um, my stuff through Facebook. My author's page on Facebook should be uh, ILSI Productions. But if you find David E. Johnston, you can find the author's page through there. Um, mainly Amazon. Everything's right there on one page. And um, they're cheap. Um, if the... Uh, <laughs> If, if the physical copies look like they're too much or they're too expensive, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, I charge the bare minimum for the physical copies, which means I take zero pennies, no profit, nothing off of them. You're literally just paying the cost for Amazon to print the the book, whether that's two fifty or ten fifty or whatever. Um, the Kindles are always they're always two ninety nine or less, so that way you're I don't I don't think it's fair to charge you any more for a work you're not going to have a physical copy for. I just don't think that it's fair. Um, Amazon gets their percentage for hosting, you know, yay, whatever, and I get like a dollar. Um, if you want to hold the physical copies, then go ahead and get the hard copies, but that's completely up to you. Again, <laughs> again, you're paying at cost for, for the book itself. Um, I don't get any profit from that, so I apologize if Amazon is raping anybody on the prices because I know they're a business and they're there to make money. Um, but uh, whatever they're charging you, it is the lowest that I can charge. So don't be afraid to, if you really liked one and you want to get it, go ahead and get it and know for sure you're not patting my wallet. You're only kind of sort of patting Amazon's. Okay, that was all the fun rating stuff about, you know, we can talk about. Yay. Um, now, of course, the sadder part. Um, of course, the whole podcast ultimately is to hopefully help people with depression, myself included. So, is there any stories that you have, or of anyone you know that's needed depression, has depression, or anything like that along those lines? <laughs> My mom is is horrifically depressed right now. Um, just just to summarize for people who aren't familiar with the situation, um, her father died six months ago, and um, right after the funeral, her husband of twenty three some years announced he was going to divorce her. And he wanted half of her inheritance from her father's death. And then he proceeded to get her arrested and kicked out of her own house and just anything he could to be nasty and miserable. So she, she literally had no time to grieve her, her father's passing and then come to find that her husband didn't want to be with her and hated her. Um, so she lost like her best friend of you know two decades and her father. And she still had to fight with... Um, the court system and the divorce system. She has to manage the estate for her father. She has to fight with her her three uh, brothers for a property. Um, all this stuff all at once, and then going into Wender, which of course that's a great kicker for depression. So she's been dealing with 
a lot of stuff. She had to get medicated. It was the only solution for her because she had never, no one should have to ever go through any of those things. And she's dealing with all of them at once. She is very depressed. Um, but ever since they put her on her medications, it's a small dose, only 10 milligrams. Um, her mood has stabilized and she is functional. Her doctor was very clear to say that the difference between anxiety and depression is you can feel anxiety, but when you are depressed, you become either dysfunctional or non-functional. And she was to the point where she was she was literally non-functional and she couldn't do that because there was too much to be done and her life didn't need to end just because everything else had. I think that everybody probably has to deal with some sort of depression at some point or another. Um, it's a question of you know what you can do about it. Is it mild enough that you can that you can fight back against it, or is it um, is it your situation? Is it medical? Is it uh, chemical? It's it's different for everybody. I think I think every, I think everybody has to have it at some point in their life. There's something that has to happen, or a series of events that will bring you down. Um, you know, I knew one I knew one person who um, they were they were also you know terribly depressed and. Theirs was a regular repeating condition where they couldn't control it and they needed to have, they needed to have uh, really high levels of medication to just, just be stable and functional. I don't even know if I'd say functional. But there were some days this person couldn't get themselves off the couch because they didn't see the point of doing anything. Like they had, they had to struggle to go to the bathroom because they didn't, they just didn't feel like getting up, and there was no point. They would just sit there and endlessly watch TV, and they were too miserable to sleep. But they were too tired to get up, and what was the point of doing this or doing that? And it was spontaneous, and they could, they couldn't control. It. They'd be completely fine and functional one day, and then absolutely useless the next. And the worst part is, they were completely aware of that, that disparity. It's kind of like the whole. You know, you, you say to your loved one like, "Oh, you know, if if I if I get if I get Alzheimer's and I can't remember who you are or whatever, just you know, put me in the box and kill me or whatever," because you wouldn't want to be like um, unaware of your situation. But this person was completely aware of their situation, and that made it worse because they're sitting there so deep in their own funk, and they're completely aware that all they have to do is just get up and go about their day, and they can't even bring themselves to do that. It it depends on the person, their situation. It might be a family trigger. It might be hereditary. Um, it just it could be the stress of your situation. Yeah, I've, I've known a lot of people with it. And I think I I struggle with it. Like I think I, I'm more I have, I have anxiety than depression. Like I have no patience for <laughs> I have no patience for stupidity. Like I used to be very tolerant of people. I'm not saying I'm intolerant because intolerant gives this hint of like, oh, you're racist, you're sexist. No, I'm very tolerant of people. It's just I can't tolerate stupidity. I, have no, I don't have the patience I used to have. That That's either because I've been patient for so long or I'm just getting set in my ways. But I don't have time for tomfoolery. I, I don't have time for drama. All that just, you know, screams high school to me. But um, but I But I get an anxiety about those sort of things. Because I, I so desperately don't want to get wrapped up in that stuff, I'll get worked up over it. So, like, again, this is the difference between anxiety and depression. But, like, every time something happens to my mom, she gets more depressed. 
but I get more anxious. My thing is I want to find a solution for everything. And there is no solution for her problem. She needs to work through it on her own. She needs to grieve, you know, as a daughter and as, you know, losing her husband, you know, from the divorce and everything. She needs to work through that and I can't speed that along. But it's the anxiety I get from I want to help her. I want to speed it along. But there is no there's no solution. There's no use of solution. But I will I will obsess over it and I will worry over it and I will wear on it. We have this running joke now. Um, because I got a reading from uh, Steve and then from another psychic we know. You know, spoiler alert, I don't believe in ghosts and psychics and the supernatural, but for entertainment purposes, they're cool. Um, but the reading, the reading basically said that all of my writing stuff would go on hold until my mom's social drama was resolved, right? And it was this running joke, and my wife will verify it, that every time I sat down to write from between... August or September until just recently every single time she would call or text me my mother would with some new development or some new stressor in her life and it was without fail I could wait until 11 o'clock at night to do something and she would call me and say are you up it's like what the hell um, and then I was just done because once I'm into the worry state I can't go back into you know doing my stuff it's not writer's block it's just i just can't go back to it because now i'm stressing out over her um i know i've been depressed in the past but it graduated to anxiety so i get more anxious over everything um as i know that sounds totally weird but they're so closely related in the way that they can cripple you and make and make you not do things like we had we had our mutual friend steve right and um he had social anxiety I don't know if he ever told you that or not. Not really surprised. He was he was terrified of being in public and dealing with crowds. And I, sometimes I get that way too. Like I can't suffer through Walmart because screw that place. It's a whole bunch of weird people, and I just don't want to deal with it. I'd much rather go to a much smaller store with like thirty or forty people than a Walmart with a bunch of weirdos. Steve could like it was everything he took to get up and like come over and hang out with us. And, that, and he knew us, you know, he, he yeah. felt comfortable around us, but he just, you know, what if he ran into somebody on the way to the car or what if they stopped at a store and he had to talk to somebody? And that, that was his thing is like, it, it crippled him where he just had that, that severe anxiety about it. Yeah. Like I said, everyone has, I, I always feel to think everyone probably has dealt with depression either themselves or like you were saying with your mom, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I said, everyone out there that's listening, it affects you and it does affect the people around you. But that's not, you know, it's not really your fault. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to get at. But uh, well, let's go with something a little more fun. You, me and you, we've played Magic in the past. I haven't played with you in a while. I don't know if you've even played for a while. <laughs> no. But I know you're a big in commander. So you got to tell me, who's your favorite commander? Hmm. I'm okay. This is like a two-parter. Um, I think the to- my to- I think that tokens is the most fun to play. So long as you're playing red, green, and white tokens, you can do some obnoxious, ridiculous stuff to people and still not be broken and not combo out on them and you know turn two kill them. You can just do some amazing stuff with tokens. Um, and I forget the name of that red, the red, green, white guy. He gives him plus two, plus zero whenever they attack anybody but you. He's not the he's not the best commander. I think probably 
It's got it's got to be Ulro because he gives you two life every turn, and if you put him in play, you can extort off every spell you play. You're playing Esper anyway, so you, you're gonna you're gonna drop a whole bunch of cheap artifacts. And you can extort off them. Most of your spells are gonna be cheap. You're extorting four, you know, three or four other people, four life a turn plus his two life. And they're slowly getting sucked away, and then all the nasty stuff that blue and black can do to you, and then white just nukes everything. He he's just until they make a better until they make a better version of send triplets. Aloro is Aloro's <laughs> like the best commander out there, provided you're not trying to combo out and be a dick, <laughs> as most people are in Magic. All right. Um, now we'll get to the uh, part that um, I do every now with everyone who comes on the podcast. The secret code questions. Okay. So pretty much 10 questions. You just ask them, answer them when they, whatever you feel the right answer is. So first question is, your favorite video game and why? Um, so if I don't say Final Fantasy VII, I'm like an outcast from society, right? Uh I said Final Fantasy 3, so that should tell you something. Slash 6. Alright, 7's Se- good because it's got Materia, and Sephiroth is a cool villain that doesn't make it one of the greatest games ever. Um, it does not. Just because they had a cool villain and he's got a great theme song, it's not the greatest game And he ever. kills Ares. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. You die in a cutscene, you're dead for good. Um, Metal Gear Solid is, is one of the greatest video game series ever, but it's not the greatest video game of all time. Maybe one is the best Metal Gear Solid. Maybe three is. But what's your favorite? It doesn't have to be the best selling. Oh, yeah. Um, Hmm. I had to bet with myself. I'm going to see if I'm right. See, that that is so hard. I mean, well, if... All right, if it's just my favorite, I'm probably going to go with Soul Calibur 2. Um, I won my bet. (laughs) But... Because that that's just my personal opinion because it's the most balanced fighting game there there ever was. Um, if what what do I think is the best of all time? Like not my personal favorite, but what's the best of all time? It's pretty much the favorite video game I, of all time. I'm, I'm gonna say Ocarina is the best of all time. Ocarina of Time is the best video game hands down. Um, and that's not having played all the way through Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is awesome if you want to play GTA Zelda. Um, but Ocarina of Time is that per- that perfect balance between the old school awesomeness of the SNES days and everything that would come with Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. I, I still don't think anybody has topped Ocarina of Time. Breath of the Wild is badass. But like I said, it, it's G- it's GTA Zelda. And I think it's, it's almost too big. You play Breath of the Wild, and you're setting yourself down for like a month or two months or three months, and you're going to do nothing else except hunt down little Kokoriki dudes. You know, yeah, you found me. Yeah, whatever. No, I'm going Caliber too. Character balance, storyline, the HD remix is, is just, it's the best. And there's a reason why with Caliber 6, they said they're trying to emulate Caliber 2 because it was the freaking best. We'll see later this year. I, I called that one myself. What, what did you have me torn between Caliber Two and what? No, that was pretty much that it. Was it. <laughs> that was my top choice for you, was Caliber Two. <laughs> Sorry, I just was like, you know what? The game they played the most. I, I probably have played that one more than any, uh, any other game ever. Um, all right, question two: If you could hang out with anyone, living or dead, who would it be, and why? 
There's a lot of cool people who have died lately. Um, they don't have to be. De- they don't have to be dead. They can be living. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. If you got a, if you got like three people, you can say all three. It doesn't really matter. The um, rules on this part are kind of wishy-washy with everything. Man, I, I know. I thought about this. I'm trying. I'm trying to like pinpoint. Hmm. <coughs> Man, that's uh that's a lot harder than I thought. <coughs> Excuse me. Um Yeah, I don't know why that's so difficult. Um I guess I guess I'd like to meet Stephen King once if I could. Um just just to thank him for all the work that he's done and the inspiration he's given me. Um I'd also like to meet John Carpenter before he dies. Cause I'm I'm a I'm a huge Carpenter fan and <coughs> You know, he did Halloween and Christine and The Fog. Oh, man, The Fog. And The Thing. You know, like one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And let's see if there's going to be a third. I mean, you don't have to have a third. Um. <coughs> probably David Tennant. I mean, I like Sylvester McCoy, but I think Tennant would be more fun to hang out with. Plus, you know. He's the fucking doctor. You, you can't go wrong. And then we hop in the TARDIS and go meet everybody anyway. Alright, next question. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, I think I, I would want uh, the ability to, to pause and unpause time at will. Because then I could get all that stuff done I've been meaning to get done. And then I could finish all those video games I'm, I'm buying right now that I won't play until I'm retired. Just like you. Did you listen to my first podcast? Because that was my answer. No, to I have not. I have <laughs> not. Manipulation. Great, great minds think alike. I'm just saying there's quite a few locker rooms I could visit with time paused. Mm-hmm. Um, if you won $10 million, all your bills are paid off, what would you do storage-wise? Oh, well, um, I would get a place to live that is far from other people. That way I don't have to listen to neighbors complain. Not that my neighbors complain. They don't. They're actually great neighbors. Um, but I don't want to have complaining neighbors. And I want to have a nice, large house that is uh, one story, not multiple stories. That way we don't have to climb stairs. And then we can get a pool. And I can hire someone to take care of all the yard work. And I don't have to worry if the trees fall down in an ice storm. Uh, yeah, and then we'll get, uh, we'll get hybrid cars. And we'll have solar power. And yeah, then I can just write as much as I want and do whatever I want. And I would make sure I built like my I would I would want an underground bunker. <laughs> I would want to have like a hobbit house underground. That way I could like, you know, go into my little secret chamber and um be completely left alone, you know, to work on stuff. Yeah, you gotta have a secret passage to that it, way I can you lock, know? I can lock the dogs and the cats out and they can't come bother me like they were doing during this interview. Alright. If you had changed your name, what would your new name be? Why do you think you would choose that as your name? with uh, John Snow because I know nothing. Ah, that works. 
<laughs> it, hey, answer is all that matters. All right, favorite movie. And is your personal favorite movie? Oh. And I know I've probably seen some new stuff that probably like that I'm gonna forget. That is like probably towards the top of the list. I know that um, Old Boy's fantastic, but I've always liked Tale of Two Sisters better than that. Um, but I like Sunshine over Tale of Two Sisters. Even even though Tale of Two Sisters, I think is is, is um, it's better acted. It's a better movie from start to finish, and it's more cinematic. Cinematography is it's it's stupendous. The colors great, and the music's great. Um, I just like I like the vibe of a lot of what's in Sunshine. If I could just cut the last ten minutes out of the film, even though I know it's necessary, that's that's my only gripe with that movie is this last 10, the last whole ten freaking minutes, the whole the whole climax of the movie, of course. Um, damn. Yes, yeah, I, I still think I'm going to lean towards Sunshine as being as being my favorite. There's probably something new that that's come out that I'm forgetting, um, that I haven't like committed in my memories. Going, oh yeah, that's really awesome. Although I'll I'll, I'll put uh, JSA as being pretty tied up there in that top four. Um, that's another great flick by the same director. See, you ask me like a week from now, and I'm like, oh yeah, there was such and such, and I forgot to tell you about that one. I'll, I'm going to say Sunshine. Hey. Tale of Two Sisters is right behind it. I'm going to say these are movies that some of the people may have never heard of, and now we'll actually go out and see. Yeah, that's true. Tale of Two Sisters is Korean, and it's hard to find, so good luck. <laughs> but Sunshine, you should be able to find everywhere in bargain bins, no less. That's an all-star cast, and uh, it's, it's pretty. It's it's hard sci-fi. It's not like laser ships and aliens sci-fi. It's like. You will die in the cold vacuum of space sci-fi. It is real sci-fi, which is equally creepy in its own right. All right, next question. Marvel or DC? I, I got to go Marvel because I, I was I was back in the Secret Wars two days and um, when Doctor Doom, you know, killed the freaking Beyonder and all the good stuff. I mean, DC's got, got Batman, but um, no, I'll stick Marvel. Okay, what Dungeons and Dragons class would you be? A uh, ranger. <laughs> you got because it's that it's that dual wielding baby. You know, you get three attacks per two rounds. Uh, yeah, I'm on that. Ah. I guess because then they're mostly like neutral good or chaotic good, and that probably suits me as neutral good. All right, who would play you in the movie about your life? Uh, Chris Pratt. There you go. Uh, number 10 is what job would you want if money didn't matter? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that I, I would just want to write full time. I, I, I honestly, like, I, I do not know how much I would be able to put out if I did it full time. Like, let's say I gave it six days a week like Asimov did. Um, if I'm putting out 15,000 words a day, <laughs> six days a week, so you're talking... 30,000, 60,000, 90,000 words a week. So that's a book and a half a week on average. So you're so you're talking six books a month if they're, if they're 60,000 words exactly. I mean, just think about that. So 72 books a year. 
I don't read that much, so I definitely won't read your whole collection if you do 72 books a year. <laughs> Just putting that out there. It'll be, it'll be the Gamba Quarter collection. <laughs> okay, that one I might have to read. All right, um, there's only one other question I have that I'm going to throw out here. Is, uh, so when are you going to uh, run another uh, RPG campaign? Pro- probably never because, um, you, know, what, you know what I found is ironic is like all the, all the preemptive work I did for those, those RPGs like laying out what the NPCs were doing and trying to anticipate what the characters were going to do um, within the game universe and like everything that like spun out from there, all the little outward ripples. It is it is almost identical to what I do putting together the outlines for a story or a book because all the characters that are in there, I mean, they're all basically NPCs and I'm assuming the role and the NPCs have to be interesting enough that you want to read about them. But I'm also playing through them as the PCs in a way. Um, so the preparation for the two is very, very similar. Um, and it, like, if I was trying to write down the story of Gamba, like, you know, which I'm still working on, it's like I don't have to um, come up with some contrived story excuse for why a character does something, even though, like, game-wise, it'd be pretty obvious why X Y Z is going to do this because he knows it'll lead to this because he's just figured it out. But in the story, I have, to, I have to contrive some way to explain why he's going to go take that action and then to go do this. Um, yeah, it's, this, it's weird how the processes were very, 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 I see they're very, very similar. And you look at all the Gambit notes now, and um, they're, they're basically just the outline for how to, retel, you know, how to retell it. Not in game format, but like in story format, so none of the key events get missed. It's crazy, like, because the detail that's there is the same detail I need from this sort of stuff pretty crazy just real quick note for most people who don't understand gamba was a game that david run and it was one of the best role-playing things i've ever done um i but i know it took a lot of work out of him and a lot of <laughs> having uh having us call him every other day with something new that we were doing it was probably not the best thing for him but you know he he soldiered on through but it, it, it was a blast it was you know three and a half years and then it, you know, it had a beginning, middle, and end, and everything worked out in the end. All right. Well, this is about the end of the podcast. I just want to re-remind everyone that the website is ageeksdepression.com. It's all one word. Um, we have links to our Facebook and Twitter again. Um, I will get the, a link to link up Dave's books to the site, too. That way, if you'd like to go order them, right, you can just click right from the site, too. So, All right, everyone. Till next time, have a good one.